Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. I'd like you to take a look at the screen, and as you do look at the screen, it says, Why pray? And I would like for you, if you're one of those who just likes to think about things on your own and just contemplate, I want you to, to answer that question, Why pray? And if you're one who likes to discuss with another, find someone close to you and, and answer that question. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. Think on that. Why pray? Go for it. All right, I'm going to come in this time. What I'd like you to, to do is as you think of that, you may have said a number of different things either to yourself or to someone around you. And as you thought about why is it that I pray, you might say, well, I pray because God commands me to and at his invitation. You might say because he's promised to hear me when I pray, so I'm looking forward to his answer. It might be because of my own and my neighbor's need. could be because the Holy Spirit is prompting me to pray. And it could be a number of other reasons beyond that. Today, I would like to look at what Paul was writing to Timothy and what he was dealing with at Ephesus to prompt him to write these words from 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why would he do that? Well, first, he's urging them to pray. And as I think about this whole idea of urging, it reminds me of what happens in chapter earlier. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. And then it goes on to share more things, more of the, of the deceitfulness. And it talks about, in chapter 1, about God's faithfulness to Paul. Because Paul was one who just was confused. He was going the wrong way, and God has this unlimited patience for him. His unlimited patience which drives God to love and to turn Paul around. And then, what it says at the end of chapter 1, which leads us right into what we have for today, it says this, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. Okay, Again, this do what you can do in Ephesus to correct the false teaching. And keeping, I give you this instruction, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have wrecked these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now you hear that, and you're thinking, okay, Pastor, where are you going this morning? What's going on here? Okay. Well, I would say, why pray? 
And I want to say this to you, because of opposition. Because of opposition. We pray because there are those who are trying to share all these things that aren't actually true out there. If you think of the name Hymenius, how many of you have heard that from the scripture before today? Okay, not too many of you. He's not overly popular. Okay? We hear about him in 1 Timothy and also in 2 Timothy. And he is one who actually, his false teaching at least part of it, I don't know all the extent of it, but part of it we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that he's teaching that the resurrection has already happened. Do you think that might impact how we think about God and Jesus and what's all coming if we think the resurrection, the not Jesus's, but the final one has already happened? That would be very odd. What's going on here? Why is the world like it is anymore? There's so many more questions that would come. So he's misleading the people. Kind of like what happens when Paul is addressing the people in Galatians. And when he's addressing them in Galatians, he says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Okay. Then he goes on to say, you started, with the God, you started by believing. Are you going to finish things up under the law? Now I want to ask you this question. How many of you come to church on Sunday and you're like, I'm so excited that God loves me in Jesus. This is the best. I at least hope that's how you leave. Okay. But you come and you're like, I am so glad that God loves me, that I'm accepted in Jesus, that life is good. And then you get out and you go start living the week. You're like, okay, now that he loves me, I live this way. And so you start the week by saying, God loves me, and so I get to live out this new life in Christ. And by the time Saturday rolls around, you're living this way. i got to work really hard so that God will love me. You ever do that? Is there a little bit of false doctrine out there that says, you know, God loves me when I'm good, but he doesn't love me otherwise. And I've got to work really hard to get into God's good graces. That's what was happening with the Galatians. That's why they were saying they had had these people come in and influence them. And they said, you know, unless you keep all these rules, not going to work. There's a lot of false teaching out there, getting Jesus wrong, getting what he's done for us wrong, so that somehow we think God does his part and we do our part and everything is great. When actually God does it all, right? He takes people who were dead in their transgressions and sins and makes them alive together with him. He doesn't take people that are pretty good and just help them a little bit. Right? So first we have to get that correct. Opposition from the lies that are around there and the lies we tell ourselves. Secondly, it says to pray for kings and all those in authority. And you might say, I don't know if I want to pray for all those. However you feel about those who are in leadership of our county or our states, our city, states, national government, other leaders throughout the world, however you feel about those, I just want to introduce you to those who were in charge when Paul was living, when Peter was living. There was a man, he was the emperor. Do you know what the emperor's name was when Peter and Paul were living? Nero. Nero is such a nice guy. Nero was such a nice guy. He, he was the one that there was a big fire there, and, and what, what he was, he didn't want to take the blame for it, so he just blamed the Christians. 
I think it's right. I, you can check me on this. I might, not, I might not have this right, but I think he was the one. How many of you like to have little parties in your backyard in the summertime? And you get those little torches that you kind of light and so you can keep the bugs away. They're called what? Tiki. Little tiki torches. Okay? He would have little tiki torches, but his weren't like little whatever's those in little citronella, whatever's in those little things. He actually would just take Christians and set them on fire. Peter was killed. Paul was killed during the time of Nero. Paul writes, pray for those who are kings and others in authority over you. Whether you like or don't like the current president, whether you like or don't like the one before him or the one before him or the one before him, I don't ask if you like them or not. I ask, will you pray for them? And sometimes we need to pray that God would simply help us move on. That's okay, too. From whichever one happens to be in office at the time. Do you know, there was a time when Elijah had just won this huge contest. Okay? Remember the Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal? Okay? And so... They cry out forever and nothing happens because their God's not real. And so then Elijah cries out to his God and everything happens that he's asking for. And then he's like, yeah, we won. And all those 450 prophets of Baal are all put to the sword. And Elijah is just rejoicing in that for a moment before Jezebel, the queen, who likes Baal and who doesn't think much of the true God, Yahweh, and so she says, hey, Elijah, just want you to know that all those what happened to those prophets is going to happen to you. She, because of her great influence over the king, King Ahab, she was one who's an authority. And Elijah ran away. How do you pray for her? How do you pray for Nero? Jehoshaphat, he's this one that's king over Israel. He's got other people that are coming against him. He, he cries out to God and he prays to God for help against the enemies. Whether you're a king, whether you're one that's in submission to the kings, whomever you are, the call here from Paul to these people is pray. Pray for those in authority. Pray for, to the one who's an ultimate authority for those who, are in otherwise, who otherwise are in authority. And he says, first of all, How many of us, when we think about praying for those in leadership, we think about doing life, prayer is the last resort? Is that true for you? That's awesome. Nobody here has prayer as a last resort. I am so happy. This is why I'm blessed to be here. I get to partner with you who are very mature, and you pray first. Is that really right, or are any of you just sitting on your hands this morning? Maybe a few hand-sitters, right? What I would encourage is, first of all, of primary importance, is seeking God to do what you and I can't do on our own. How many of you, when you think about those who are in leadership over you, before you pray for them, you make sure you complain about all that they're doing wrong? (laughs) I'll get to the prayer in just a minute. First, I'm going to complain. And let me just ask, how many of you know all the information that all of those leaders are dealing with? How many of you get all the reports? Uh, raise them a little higher. I, I don't, still don't see any hands. How many of you got all the information they have? Oh. So do you like it when other people judge and condemn you for stuff that they don't have a clue about? 
Do you like it when other people stand and judge you and condemn you when they don't have all the information? No, that's wild. How can we feel so empowered to condemn other people instead of praying for them? That's really not our position, is it? We can say, I disagree with this policy. I wonder, maybe I should talk to the one who's ultimately in charge before I offer more condemnation. And by the way, if, if I was a foreigner and I just stepped into America and I watched the news on one channel and then went to the other channel, I would think we're not dealing with the same country. Right? You're like, wow, it really does matter which TV show you watch and who you listen to. Huh. So there's an urging. There's an urging to pray for them. Pray that God would work to either remove that which is evil and wrong or that God would help us to understand, wait, and trust the one who is ultimately in charge. Pray for kings and for others and for all. You know what it says? Supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. That's just like an overabundance, all kind of saying similar things. It's all about prayer. Supplication is petitions. We're asking for things. Prayer is just general word for prayer. Intercession is when I'm praying for someone else. Thanksgiving is when I am thankful. And I just have a quick question for you. Are you and I thankful? Some days. Fantastic. One more real quick question. Can any of us grow in our Thanksgiving? So maybe what we do is we intercede for others that we see that are kind of... Ever see those people walking around looking like they're sucking lemons? <laughs> kind of bitter and they're like, oh, life stinks all the time. Okay, Pray for them and then just recognize that every once in a while you might be the one because you're looking in the mirror when you see that person sucking on lemons. And you're like, oh my goodness, I need to pray for me. Pray. First of all, pray. Because sometimes we go through life thinking we can control the situation around us when we don't have that ability. I know I've shared this with you before, but I think it's just... I just want to, so I'm going to. I'd like to bring change into other people's lives. I'd like to bring this change. But you know, I really have a struggle changing myself. I, I had a day off on Friday. It was a great day. Lots of reading, lots of insights, good things going on. I'm like, this is fantastic. I, I learned some great things that I can share with others and different ways of interacting with people that will help me to be a better servant to them. But you know what happened from 8 o'clock on? There's this crazy thing on my phone that just started saying, Pastor, you should look at me. <laughs> And it just kept beckoning to me. And it just kept calling. Would you please come? There's some really great sports stuff you should look at. <laughs> and after that, some really great comedy things you could see. And then other old TV shows you could watch. And oh, don't worry when you're super tired at 1 o'clock in the morning. There's still more stuff to watch. <laughs> and by 2 o'clock, when you just cannot stay awake anymore, then you can turn me off. And struggle for another hour to actually fall asleep after that. 
Do you ever wish that you could actually make changes not only in other people but for yourself? Do you know that the opposition sometimes is external and the opposition sometimes is... Do you know how many mornings I wake up after that and say, I am not doing this today and I'm going to do this and this and this so I don't do that ever again. I'm not doing that today. Nope, nope, nope. Never again. No. I'd rather die before I did that again. And then by like 7 o'clock at night, I'm just doing whatever I feel like doing again. Do you know how discouraging that is? There's so much in this text that I wish I could pull out for you, but I just can't get it done in the time I want to. It talks about living with a good conscience and sincere faith. And you know, after those days when I fail, after those days when I've got caught up in, in condemning other people and judging and all that kind of stuff, do you know that I just don't live with a very clean conscience? Do you, do you ever get there? And a lack of that sincerity of faith in Jesus because I'm like trusting me? Isn't it great we can learn that all of our character defects, all those things that aren't right, we can just say, dear God, would you take those? And I'm going to work on seeing how I might live in your love and love other people. That's called living the L. How can I trust you, God? And how can I love my neighbor? You see, the way that we do this is we pray. Because when we pray, we unite ourselves to the one who actually can do something about it, unlike me who can't. And so I call upon this God. Do you know that this Paul is writing to Timothy? Timothy is in Ephesus. There's a book, Ephesians, that we know and love, right? At the end of that book, there it talks about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God. Well, what is the armor of God? It's the helmet of salvation. Who gives us salvation? Jesus. So we put on Jesus, the breastplate of righteousness. Who makes us righteous? Jesus, the belt of truth. Who is the truth? Our feet fitted with the... the Gospel of peace. Who gives us peace with God? Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we prayed and as we prayed, we put on the armor of God and we got ourselves connected with Jesus? Jesus. That's what prayer does, right? Gets us connected with Jesus. As we remember the mercy of God, then we live our lives as living sacrifices, which is what is pleasing to God. That's what 1 Timothy 2 talks about, these lives that are pleasing to God, lives in quietness, lives in godliness, lives that actually show to the world the difference Jesus makes. How many of you in the middle of your failures, right after your failure, can go to God and say, God, you hear me for Jesus' sake, and I am forgiven? And how many of you say, I'll get there after I beat myself up for a while and ask God 35 more times for forgiveness because I know he couldn't forgive me the first time. Wouldn't it be great if we would say, of first importance is not how well the Cowboys do today because it's a for sure win. Of first importance is not some other how much money I've got in the bank. Of first importance is not my health. Of first importance is not the healing of this other relationship. Of first importance is getting connected to Jesus. Because in Him I have life and I have hope and I have joy and He'll be the one that will straighten out all of my mess. And do you know that in the midst of me who continues to struggle like I do, that God can still somehow use me You know what's really great? God somehow continually uses you to bless me 
so we might be partners in God's work in this place at this time. Amen? Amen. Amen.